Welcome to Two Oceans Vibe Radio. I'm Susanna Kennedy and I'm going to be with you for the next hour and a half. I am super excited to have two incredible guests with me today. Um, Adam, I'm going to invite you to chat with me first. And I've been checking out your feed and your videos and your series. And I must say, I've been just blown away by your authenticity, um, by your vulnerability and... Um, just by your realness and willingness to share. And I'm sure that that sometimes makes people uncomfortable to an extent, but it also allows the freedom for people to find a platform to share themselves. And as you know, normally on a Tuesday, I speak about the continuation of the conversation, how do we curb gender-based violence or any violence in a sexual way and also any sexual misconduct um, how do we create a society that isn't leaning towards that and isn't perpetuating those kinds of behaviors? And how do we heal from that as well? And so I've had many guests on before, from lawyers to um, to professional psychologists to guests, that it gives a platform to actually speak. And when I heard you speak in your videos, I was like, got to get him on air. Let's talk to this individual. So, Adam, your entire... First of all, welcome to Two Oceans Vibe. How are you doing today? <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing really well today, and I'm excited to get into this conversation because gender-based violence, sexual uh, assault, and, and misconduct is rampant on the planet. Yeah. And I, and I think that the more that we can speak about it openly, the less taboo it becomes, especially as a man. Yeah. And... Um, then through the willingness to talk about it and making it something that's no longer behind closed doors, the healing can happen because people feel safe to start to explore their own healing process. Absolutely. I mean, you are the first man that has been brave enough to be on my show and um, speak about their experience. And I have to honor you for that because I've had mm. a couple of men speak to me, but none of them, and they've said, yeah, 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 no, I'd love to come on the show. But I think it's, it's a much harder thing for a man to admit than a woman. I think that women have been in crisis about this for a long time. And I believe that there are a lot of men that have been in crisis as well, and they haven't actually spoken up as women have, you know. So I, I really, really honor you for coming on the platform and speaking to me about it, because I think that it will help men to have a voice. Um, I mean, just recently, there was a film being shot here in South Africa, and I was speaking to the stars of the film, and they were telling me how the casting agent um, was doing completely inappropriate things, that before it would be a man in that position of power, and now it was a woman in that position of power, and she was behaving in the same way. You know, so this is happening to men and women, and that's why I've shifted away from calling it, um, you know, let's, let's empower women or, you know, let's empower everyone mm -hmm. and give everyone a voice. Can you, I know it's, it's going to be um, quite an in-depth story, but can you just share a little bit about your experience with the listeners Yes, yeah, so um, I was molested at the age of five, and it was something that I didn't remember for mm. most of my life. And at basically 31 years old, I had the repressed memory surface, and the last four years, because I just turned 35, the last four years have been a process of unraveling and I describe it as if you think of a tree with all these branches and all these leaves, it's like every single branch, every single leaf is coming from the roots. Mm -hmm. And so I've been kind of tracing back from the leaves to the branches, to the trunk, to the roots, because this event of being molested at the age of five is so foundational to yeah. the formation of who I've been for most of my life that in business, in romantic partnerships, in friendships, in how I feel just like going out and walking around on the planet, all of those things are impacted by it. And the mm -hmm. only way to really fully be free of it is to trace back each branch all the way down to the root and do the healing along that pathway for each and every aspect. And yeah. as I step into new situations I've never been in before, 
I find new ways that it's impacting me still that I wasn't aware of without mm-hmm. that kind of feedback mechanism. And so it's been in quite, quite the process and quite the journey um, to uh, heal, back, return to wholeness from, from an event like that. Yeah, it, it's so interesting because um, my listeners know and I shared with you and for the new listeners listening, I, I too, were, I was sexually molested when I was little um, from probably the age of about two and a half till about 10, 11. And um, I also, I've got so many gaps in my memory from that time, but it also only surfaced a couple of years ago. In fact, um, six years ago, it surfaced and it's incredible once you realize what happened, how all of those little dots suddenly become connected, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you look back and you go, oh, that's why I re- react, respond to the situation like that. Oh my goodness, that's why I respond to that situation like that. And so w- the way you described it now is um, makes so much sense. It's such a beautiful image of how to describe it. But I know that there are so many people out there that have a memory. And I remember... And I don't know how you dealt with it, but I remember having to tell people, mm-hmm. like my parents, you know, and having to tell my brothers and sisters. And um, because my psychologist at the time said, Susanna, you cannot carry this alone. You know, mm-hmm. it's too big to carry alone. And I felt like it was the biggest inconvenient truth <laughs> that I was about to lay mm-hmm. upon these people that I cared for so deeply did you go through a similar process when you came to realize what happened did you need to tell the people that were in your life yeah and i I imagine that you can relate to this and this is something that i've found difficult for people to understand if they haven't been through something like it yeah which is the complete spectrum of emotion that's attached to an experience like this. Mm. And when I first had the memory surface of, of the sexual abuse, the first thing that happened is I cried tears of gratitude. Mm. I was so overjoyed and, and it wasn't even intentional. It just, they sprung out of me because it put the pieces together and I felt like I understood myself for the very first time. At the age of 31, it was, it was this understanding of this is why I am the way that I am. All the things that I'd been judging about myself, all the ways in which other people had uh, uh, like made me feel as if the, the way I had been acting was a choice that I shouldn't make. Mm-hmm. And realizing that that had actually been fear-based programming of me trying to feel safe on the planet. And I was so grateful because... It's, it's, and this is difficult to describe, but um, it's like I didn't even know that I was a stranger to myself mm. until that piece of information dropped in. Yeah. And so it was just gratitude and so grateful to remember. And then from there, learn like how do I be with that now? Mm. And, and how do I interface with the humans in my life who have, have, um, loved me and known me a certain way and there's the emotion of not wanting to disturb the peace you know and and um not wanting to be viewed through that lens not wanting to be seen as someone who's the victim of of sexual assault and especially as a man you know feeling you know how do i feel feel masculine in this Mm. how do i not feel like somehow i'm less manly i'm less Mm. um anything and I, I started by just opening up to my closest friends and then telling my family about it. And then um, the first time I publicly opened up about it was unplanned. Mm. And it was on stage in front of 1,500 women. And I, this is all actually caught on camera as part of uh, my YouTube show, The Art of Choosing Love, which people can go on YouTube and watch. And I think this episode is called How I Healed from Childhood Sexual Abuse. But I was speaking at an event in Denver, Colorado, and I was speaking about the power of forgiveness mm-hmm. because it was an all-woman audience, 1,500 people, and I could feel how much um, they were shutting down to my message of forgiveness. I was only one of two men invited to speak at this this conference and I was speaking about the power of forgiveness and I could feel that kind of, who is this man telling us to forgive? Mm. 
And in that moment, I wanted to share, I wanted to share connection by letting the audience know this isn't mansplaining. This isn't me just telling you to forgive. This is me having gone through a process of forgiveness and recognizing that it's not weakness, Mm. it's power. And so I said, listen, this is coming from personal experience and and here's what happened to me. Mm. And I opened up about it. And after I got off stage, I had a hundreds of women that came up to me and waited in line And I stood there for three hours while women one by one kept coming up to me and thanking me and crying and sharing their own stories of their own Mm -hmm. sexual abuse and some of it so horrific. And and I went back to my hotel room after three hours and I completely broke down. And I thought to myself, what did I just do? Because I, I didn't want to be the face of this. Hmm. I didn't want it to be. I had so many ideas of my what I wanted to be talking about. And, what I, and now here I am very aware that this is going to follow me now. Yeah. This is something I've accepted as part of the Adam Roa brand and persona and everything. And what did I just do? I didn't plan for that. And that also unlocked and unleashed a whole new area of healing that was necessary because the moment that I claimed it publicly, there was all these parts of myself that, that didn't want that, that I got to deal with after that. Mm -hmm. And, and I would say that in many ways I'm still dealing with it. You know, I've gone through some breakups, um, and only like a month ago that I want the last, my last relationship, which was a year long ended and I'm single for the first time in 11 years. Oh, wow. And, and yeah, I was in a 10 year relationship and then pretty much immediately got into a one year. So, and the ways in which I'm noticing that this traumatic event is impacting me and my relationships and dating and all of that is tremendous. Hmm. And I'm not going to lie. I get frustrated sometimes. Hmm. I, I get um, upset because I feel like as the victim of sexual abuse, there's a part of me that wants to say that was, I, I paid my penance. Mm. I was the victim. I was victimized by that. Mm. So it doesn't seem fair that I now also have to deal with years and years and years of seeing ways that it's impacting me that I don't want it to. Mm. And so, so there is that kind of rebellious, this isn't fair, that sometimes peeks its head up. But for me, recognizing that I went through that for a reason, and now I can help so many people. Yeah. And that, that turns it into a gift. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to, there's so much <laughs> that I want to respond to about what you've said. Um, first of all, that that exhale, that sense of gratitude. Um, I mean, my eyes welled up with tears when you said Mm. that because, and I think anybody who's been in our situation will understand that feeling of going, okay, I'm not mad. You know, like Mm. I'm not crazy. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not broken. Yeah. I actually reacted that way because of something. It's not Mm. because like I used to call myself an ageist, and I'd go, Susanna, but you love everyone. Why, when you see an older man with a much younger girl, do you feel nauseous? Like it, like it physically affected me, you know? And I'd go, but everybody can love. So my brain is arguing with myself, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going, anybody can love whoever they want to love. Like, why are you judging them? That's what I felt I was doing mm-hmm. until I remembered what had actually happened. And that's the space that it had come from. And then it released the judgment from me, you know, of judging myself. So I know so many people don't want to remember these things. They don't want, they hope that they stay out of their memories forever. And I understand why, because it initially can be so painful. You can be, and you can become so overrun with the pain, you know, that you want to avoid, do everything you can to avoid it. But as we know, the only way, is through the pain, is mm. to allow yourself to feel the pain. Um, and so it is a gift. I also believe that all of these things are gifts. Sometimes, you know, the, the biggest gifts come in the darkest packages. 
you know, I believe that you wouldn't be who you are had you not gone through what you have been through because your level of compassion and understanding and your level of connection as well to other people I don't think would be as deep as it is. Yeah, and there's a caveat to that that I feel is very important, which is that um, there is a difference between turning your pain into um, purpose Yes. And thinking that you need the pain for your purpose. Yes. And those that's a very big distinction mm. because I feel like in a lot of ways on the planet right now, um, it's getting misconstrued. Mm. And and we have sayings like the breakdown to the breakthrough mm. and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and mm. forged in the fire. And like we we, we celebrate the the traumas and the pain and the shadow as if it is the necessary component to the growth. Yeah. And I think that that is in is outdated old I paradigm agree. and understand that um you will grow mm. and expand and develop into more of who you're here to be simply by how you respond to your environment. Mm. And that can be through how you respond to the beauty just as much as, as the ugly. Agreed. And so anyone who's, who's experiencing the, the pain, mm. I encourage you, if you're listening to this, to turn it into purpose, mm. turn it into a gift, mm. and recognize that it didn't have to be that way. Yeah. And so as you move forward, you don't call more of that in. Mm. Because if you think you need a breakdown to have a breakthrough, guess what? You're going to have a bunch you're gonna of them. Keep, you're going to keep calling them in. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with you completely. And I know that um, I've encountered a lot of people, coaches as well, you know, life coaches, all of these guys that go, you know, it, what doesn't kill you, make you makes you stronger, like you said. And, um, you know, there's there's almost like an addiction to work as well these days, mm-hmm. um, which I am a recovering workaholic. Um, I am trying hard not to be <laughs> as bad as I've always been. But it's I think it's quite difficult when you're purpose-driven um, because your work means so much to you, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you're on the treadmill just to find, just because you need to feel like you're significant, um, then that can be very, very dangerous. And in the same breath, exactly what you said, I think that we can actually grow in beautiful ways without the pain as well. Mm-hmm. So I completely, completely agree with you. Um, I want to ask you because I I found compassion for my abuser and that's what finally sort of transformed my situation for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also realized, and you mentioned it, I think earlier on, um, do you know that famous saying by Mandela when he left the prisons, they said, how could you forgive everyone? And he said, because if I didn't forgive them, I'd be walking inside a prison for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, Those two things really resonate with me on my healing journey. What were the, the key things for you that helped you transform that into a gift? The key things for me of of turning my my sexual uh, abuse into a a gift where I could forgive um, was first compassion. Mm. First was having compassion for the, the human that that did this, and I have a couple beliefs that I operate by that I feel like allow me to be more compassionate and. One of those is that I believe that if I was raised in the exact same way, had all of the exact same experiences, second by second of of a person's entire life, that I would do the exact same thing. Hmm. And a lot of people struggle with that belief. So you believe, sorry, I want to just make sure I get this right. You believe that if you had been born in that person's body and Mm -hmm. gone through exactly those experiences... Mm -hmm. You would have done the exact same thing. I would have molested a young me. Yes. You don't. You don't believe that your soul might have chosen something different. I believe. Like, do you believe in soul journeys and in soul contracts? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, I fully believe in soul journeys and soul contracts. And but if you believe in soul journeys and soul contracts, then you you would understand that 
me and my my um, uh, victimizer. Yes. We have a soul contract. Yeah. And that's a him molesting me is a part of, of his soul journey. Yes. And so if I think that if I was born in his body and lived his exact life, that I wouldn't have done it. What that means is that I'm placing my soul on a hierarchy as being better than his. I'm saying that my soul is more compassionate. My soul is a better person. My soul is somehow different in some way to his soul. That, and that's the difference. Because if we live the exact same life in every second, the mm. only difference that would exist would be the soul. Mm. And I don't believe that my soul is better than yours. Yeah. But so I think what I'm trying to clarify is then your soul would have made the same contracts. Yeah, because because my, there's no judgment it. on souls, because that's how I, I I actually came to mine as well, my compassion as well. Do you know um, conversations with God? Yeah, you know the it's a fantastic book. You know the story of the little soul that goes to God and says, "God, God, what am I?" Mm, Do you know it? Brief, like vaguely, I've read it two times in the past. Okay, so this little soul goes to God and she says, or he says, it says, "God, God, what am?" am I? And he says, compassion. And she's very, it's very exciting. Off it goes. <laughs> and then it comes back and it says, what else am I? Mm -hmm. And, um, God says, fearlessness. And it gets very excited and goes away. And this process keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. And eventually an old soul steps forward. And the old soul says to the little soul, do you really want to know everything that you are? Mm -hmm. And the little soul says, yes, very excited. And the old soul says, okay, but it looks very sad. And the little soul says, why, why do you look so sad? This is exciting. You're going to help me know everything that I am. And the old soul says, because for me to help you know everything that you are, you're going to have to go through these challenges, you know, so that you can discover these things. And I remember after I remembered what had happened, three different people told me that story. Like mm -hmm. it came at me from three different sides and it was the core of it is soul contract. So if you believe that it would be your soul and then all of those things, that makes complete sense to me. Well, if you think about it, your soul's journey, um, is catalyzed by the events you experience. Yeah. So if you come into this life and you experience heartbreak, if you've been cheated on, if you've had a divorce, mm. if you had, that's part of your soul's journey. It's, yeah. it's a part of what is shaping you. And if my the, the person who molested me needed to, to, they went through a life that shaped them into the person who could do that. Yeah. And... I believe that if I had came into that body and that life and lived every moment exactly the same, it would have shaped me into the person that could do that. Mm. And again, this, this there's so many kind-hearted people on this planet who are like, I would never do that, ever. I could never even imagine. And the reason you can't imagine doing that is because you didn't go through what that person yes. went through. Yeah. And if I sit here and say that I could literally live that exact life and never have done it, I'm saying that something that you can't even yes. see, just some part of me inherently is better. better than I'm a better person. I'm a better soul than that soul. Yeah. And I just don't believe that. Okay, and so that, that helps me have compassion for anyone mm. and and this, and it's not an easy thing. Like it took me a long time to be able to actually hold that and mm -hmm. sit, sit here honestly and say it's not just a concept. I believe it and I live yeah. it. And the second piece that helped me forgive and have so much compassion is the belief that hurt people hurt people. Mm. And I think that I can't even imagine the amount of pain that that human has endured in their life to be able to do that mm. to a five-year-old. Yeah. And I don't know the amount of pain that we, we are in Cape Town where sexual assault and rape is a huge issue here. And what I think is that someone who is happy, who feels seen and feels heard and feels loved on this planet, I don't believe they go out and rape someone. Yeah. And so what I'm looking at when, when there's a, a crisis of sexual assault happening on this planet, I'm looking at so many people on this planet who are heartbroken, yeah. who are seeking some way to feel better, seeking some way to numb their pain, seeking some way to, to 
validate their existence here and everything that they're going through and all of the pain when they were molested and, and they were raped. And also take their power back. Absolutely, yeah. 100%. Because yeah. we are all acting as a, a, from love. I think that every act is an act of self-love and, and, or an act of love. And so when someone rapes someone, they're, they're, a lot, most of the time it's a power thing. Yeah. And it's, it can be also, I'm taking my power back. It can also be like, I, I don't experience physical love at all in, in other ways. I don't have people that love me in my life. I want to feel something. I want to feel connected. I want to feel that, a pleasure sensation. I want to, and that's them working to love give themselves some form of love mm. and it looks it, it looks so messed up it looks it's so hard to swallow that pill and mm. accept that but i see the most horrific acts on this planet as if you trace it back you go down those leaves to those branches there is an act of love there and it might be someone thinking that the way that they can love themselves is by taking power and that looks like raping someone because that's from their how they've grown up. That's what they think they need to do to get that feeling. But to seek that power where they feel powerless on the planet is an act of love for themselves. Mm. And so um, all of this stuff is, is about education for me. Yeah. This is about helping people understand that there's a different way that you can feel powerful. Mm. There's a different way that you can deal with the hurt that you're experiencing in every moment. And as someone who w was molested, as someone who grew up in a household where I was hit with belts and, and wooden paddles and things like that, I, I know what it feels like to not feel safe. Hmm. I know what it feels like to not feel safe in the places that you think you're supposed to feel safe, around the people that you think are supposed to keep you safe. Yeah. And because I know what that feels like, I also know the desperation that can, can arise in order to try and find that, hmm. in order to feel okay. And when, when, I have, when I didn't know why I was the way I was before I remembered the sexual assault, I, I spent so much time trying to find happiness, trying hmm. to find contentment, trying to find wholeness, and never being able to find it. Yeah. And my ex-girlfriend used to say like there's there's always something wrong in mm. your world. Like you're always looking for what's the next wrong thing yeah. and then you'll fix it, but then like you're looking for the next wrong thing. Mm. And I that was true. That's a that's a pattern that's been a pattern in my life. But it wasn't until this memory came back and I talked to some therapists and I did the research that I realized that's not because I'm always searching for something wrong just because. That's because I've been living a life where inter my internal environment doesn't feel safe. It's in a state of fight or flight. It's, it's um, in pain. Mm. And my conscious mind is seeking to understand why. And it doesn't understand why, because I didn't remember the memory. Yeah. And so when one, th I'm like, okay, it must be this. So mm. let me fix that. And then when that gets fixed and, it, and my internal environment, it, that doesn't go away. It's like, okay, it must be something else. And so many people on this planet, most, let's put it this way. Most humans on this planet have trauma in their system. Yeah. And, and sexual trauma, I would say is more than half of the, po the world's population. Yeah. And so if you have people who are walking wounded, hmm. carrying that trauma, and they don't know how to process it and be with it. Hmm. Their conscious minds are literally looking for ways to ease what's going on in here. And if we don't educate them on how to do that in a healthy way, hmm. over time, they're going to do it in an unhealthy way. Yeah, And that may look like causing harm to people. And so this is about education and this is why I, I speak up about it. This is why I'm, I'm the first guy to come on your Not show sure, and, yeah. and talk about this is because I understand that the only way we can actually solve this problem is if we educate people about what it is and how they can be with it. Yeah. I mean, again, so many, so many things. Um, so I haven't said this publicly yet, um, but so the when you said the places that you're supposed to feel safe, you know, you're supposed to feel safe as a little kid at home. And my, um, my, the person who sexually, um, 
molested me. Like everybody thinks that my dad, everyone knows my dad is my dad. He's not my biological father. He, um, he came into my life when I was four, married my mom and only actually became my dad at, um, 20. And he's the best dad in the world that I could ever have asked for. My like dreams came true, um, with my dad, Rob Kennedy, but my biological father is the one who, um, molested me. And, um, my mother and my biological father got divorced because he was physically violent with her. And I, my first job was to be her shield. Mm. So I would run in between, you know, and be the shield. And when you, when you said, when you said all of that, it just, it's like penny drop, you know, it's like those, those acknowledgements. And I'm saying that because I'm reiterating it for anybody that's listening those little pennies that drop inside you when you hear these things, they're real, they're true, and they mean something. And and they give you the opportunity to really look at these things. And the fact that you didn't feel safe, the fact that you're saying, you know, I've also, I've done a million courses in healing, in um, personal development, in every sort of way, it, all different healing things. I'm sure you've done the same. You've mm -hmm. been to every healer that anybody's ever recommended. I know I have. I'm sure that listeners out there will associate with this because you can't put your finger on exactly what it is that is wrong. And the reality is that it ends up being so many things that heal you. Um, and some things that work for me won't work for you and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, so what were the things that did work for you? Um, because finding compassion is definitely, I mean, it was like you were speaking my own words back to me. Mm -hmm. You know, when I thought about what he had gone through in his life and how much pain he must have been in to do what he did, is when I found compassion for him and mm. when the forgiveness went to a completely different level. Cause I think I forgave him a long time before that, but it took a long time after that to actually get to that level of forgiveness where you've got complete compassion mm. for that person. And that's actually what transformed me, not the initial forgiveness. I'm sure that that did to an extent, but when you go that deep, when you can actually cry for that person, mm. because we all connected and we all feel things. And when you can understand what that person went through to get there, it's a complete different level. But what were, the, what were some of the key things that you did after that? After going, okay, I have compassion for this person. I understand that I'm no better, no, um, no worse than this person. Were there specific healings that you went to? Were, was it counseling that you did? What are actionable steps that somebody in your same situation could possibly do? Yeah, that's a really great question because how we heal mm. from something like sexual abuse is not, it's not a logical blueprint of here's step one, here's step yeah. two. It's going to be different for every single person based on their experiences and how it happened and then also all the experiences they've had afterwards and the support system they have and what they're comfortable with and, and all of those things. So. Um, I'll try and put this into two parts. One is just very briefly talking about what I did from a modality standpoint um, and continue to do. And then the second part is, is a more foundational, just I think it's how you go about it. That's mm -hmm. really the most important. And so from a modality standpoint, I um, utilize plant medicine a lot. Plant medicines, ayahuasca, aboga, San Pedro, peyote, like all of the indigenous plant medicines um, as healing modalities. I did um, so a lot of somatic work and somatic meaning just in the body. So yeah. all of these emotions and traumas and different things, they store in the cells of our body and our body remembers that. It becomes memories within the body and that's why something can happen and you'll react physically mm. in a way. Your body will You're react. You're reenacting that situation. 100%. Yeah. And so it's so important to get into the somatics of the body and I did a lot of different types of, of somatic healing work um, and then uh, I've spoken to many therapists uh, about it, many different um, healers and just people who've been through it and I've done a lot of research on it 
and and understanding how like PTSD and how mm-hmm. to deal with that and sexual trauma and the various ways it impacts our neurology and our physiology and and just studying it to understand it and then um, the other piece to part of this healing journey is is the sharing of it yeah. because in the sharing of it I no longer become embarrassed by it I'm no longer ashamed mm-hmm. by it I'm actually taking ownership of it in a way where I say this doesn't define me mm-hmm. and so those are the modalities I think that I've used which I find to be um, more symptoms or like results of how I've approached it and I think the how is is what I would want all the listeners to take away from this which is the number one thing that that you get to do during this healing process is take your time and be gentle with yourself Mm. because I know for me, the moment that it happened, like I became aware of it, it was like, okay, how do I fix this? Yeah. Like, how do I, like, I'm going to turn this into purpose. I'm going to turn this into a gift. Awesome. How do I do it? And then that led to an expectation that it should happen quickly. Hmm. And then when a couple years passed and I saw myself still struggling with certain aspects of this, I was judging myself. Yeah. Like, why can't I heal faster from this? I know that I'm, I've already forgiven. I know that I want to turn it into a gift. I know that this, and yet there was still so much there. And mm. the judgment becomes resistance. Yeah. And the moment we're in resistance to what we're feeling around it, it, it um, creates an adversarial relationship. And something that's important for people to know is, is traumatic events like that, they happen in heightened uh, energetic states. Yeah. Right? And so there's, there's an energetic... A uh, really high energy component to how it implants into the system. Mm. And so the way in which we can combat that is through gentle, easeful compassion for ourselves. If we try and attack it, like I'm going to go in and just take you out, it quarantines itself. The trauma stores itself. It, it puts up its walls and its defenses yeah. and it says, I'm not going anywhere because that energy is how it got implanted in the first place. Mm. And it's just the yin and the yang. It's it's the water to the fire. Yeah. It's allowing us to process. And so giving ourselves the time and the gentleness to say, however long you need, Mm. however long you need and developing and whatever you need and whatever you need and that's yeah. that, that's the key piece of the how yeah. is starting to develop a relationship with yourself and your body so that you can actually understand what y- your body's asking for yeah. Because what's happened is that trauma is now held by the five-year-old version of me that mm-hmm. doesn't feel safe. Mm. And so my inner child, to use that terminology, yes. my inner child wants to feel safe, wants to feel loved. So I get to look at that part of me whenever I f- feel that come up. And maybe it's I go on a date and I just don't feel um, comfortable because a big belief that I took on was it's not safe to be the object of sexual desire. Yeah. That was a huge one. And that happens for mm. a lot of uh, like women when Absolutely. they've been through that, they put on the baggy clothing and they don't yeah. wear makeup anymore. And there's just like this thing. A lot of women will gain a bunch of weight. To make I've had a fight about my body like for my whole life because mm-hmm. of it. You know, it's this like love hate relationship with my body. It's like, um, people go, Oh, you so beautiful. And it's like, um, I want to embrace the fact that I'm beautiful, but there's a part of me that goes, what is that called into my life? You Mm -hmm. know? So it's been this like battle of like, do I embrace this body and go, yes, I'm a sexy, beautiful woman. And part of me goes, yes. And another part of me goes, no, because Mm -hmm. of what it had brought into my life. Cause I was also sexually assaulted twice. Um, once at, um, 16 and then once again at 28. So it's like, there's that, that fight that happens in people that go, I, I want to be confident. I want to be beautiful. I want to embrace myself and feel joyous in this amazing thing that allows me to live, this body that allows me to run and hug and kiss and, you know, f- dance and feel. And then there's that other side that has that fight that goes, but flip, what is this <laughs> thing attracted, you yeah. know? And what what is the, h- how do you balance that out? So I totally get where you're going with that. And so many of my friends go through that as well that I know that have been through abuse. So it's so wonderful hearing a man say that because, you know, you're also a sexual (laughs) being and of desire. And I actually heard one of your, I watched one of your videos about how in um, the healing you know, in the healing circles, you know, this also is taken advantage of. You go into a healer's space and you're going there for healing. And 
they cross the boundaries, you know, and this happens on a daily basis for people. I mean, and a healer's space specifically is awful. It's unacceptable. Guys, it's completely fucking unacceptable. I'm just going to say that right now. But it happens on a daily basis in different ways. It happened the other day when I was at Home Affairs getting a document and I was closed into a room with a man and he started like telling me how attractive I was and how would I go on a date with him and I'm by myself locked in an office on the second floor where nobody can hear me that's a scary thing especially with our past sorry I lost my breath there um but to hear a man acknowledge that um is just so like it's such a relief actually mm. as a woman there was this beautiful post I'm sure you saw it with this man at a march and he had a bare chest and he said I'm I'm half naked surrounded by a woman and I feel completely safe I wish they could do the same but the reality is we all need to feel safe mm. no matter what we dressed in no matter what we are wearing you know and no matter whether we celebrate our bodies or feel contracted about it we should all feel safe mm-hmm. you know in our in our lives anyway sorry i've gone on on a complete but it just it hit me it's so nice to hear a man acknowledge that yeah it's a, it's a big part of my journey now as funny as it sounds is embracing being sexy Mm. me too no i'm with you i'm so with you is is how how can i allow myself to feel sexy not because when you disassociate feeling sexy from needing to do anything with sex yes i'm a better speaker i'm a better performer i'm a better communicator i'm i'm more embodied in my message and my ability to create impact when i feel sexy yeah yeah there's power in that. yeah i get it and so a big part of this journey is how do i can rewrite the story that it's not safe to be sexy mm. so that I can embrace that in more areas of my life. And to, to tie it back to what we were talking about, the, the listening to my body and saying there's, there's 35-year-old Adam Roa that wants to be sexy and mm. allow himself to feel safe in that way to express is great. Mm. Then there's five-year-old sexually abused inner child that in certain instances, when I go to arcade or wherever it is and i'm (laughs) surrounded by models dancing all around and i'm like whoa i'm i'm in this public space around all these people and what is it that i'm actually feeling yeah instead of saying shut up be sexy stop being um stop running and being insecure and being scared or being all these things saying wow the five-year-old me is coming up right now yeah, and and is experiencing something and actually treating myself in that moment mm. as a, that five-year-old self yeah. and saying, it's okay. If, if there was a five-year-old that came up to me at Arcade, this is mm. a club, and came up to me and said, I don't feel safe here. I'm not going to be like, shut up, go dance. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say, hey, what do you need to feel safe? Mm. It's like, I just want to be around my friends. And, yeah. and you say, okay, great. So then I'm going to say, you're good. Let's go to our friends and just hang out and have a conversation. Or it's like, I actually have had enough of this and I don't want to be here Mm. anymore. And you say to the five-year-old, that's okay. We can go. Yeah. And then if that five-year-old wants to cry about it and you're like, okay, cry. And you don't say, you've cried for five minutes. Shut up and be an adult now. You say, do you need to cry some more? Go ahead and cry. Mm. And um, it's so funny because I... I I have such high expectations for Mm. myself and my ability to move through and be this shining bright light of what's possible for people and inspire and motivate and impact millions of people with my videos and and whatever, that that idea of who I'm supposed to be can Mm. sometimes get in the way of saying, who am I right now? Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, my friend Joel is here and we've been rooming and, and I was opening up to him last night and letting him and my other friend Emil know, like, I've cried the last three mornings in a row during my mm-hmm. morning practice, during meditation and stretching and all these things, because some of the things that I've experienced here in South Africa have brought up these parts of myself. Mm-hmm. And I feel, I do feel somewhat embarrassed mm-hmm that I can't, I can't go on a date yet and not the next morning have all these emotions stemming from the breakup, from the sexual assault, from all these things. There is a part of me that says, I want to be like these other guys who love dating and have so much fun doing it and, and whatever. 
but I, I recognize that that's not where I'm at right now. And yeah. if, I, if I force myself to pretend like I'm somewhere that I'm not, I, what I'm doing is I'm teaching my body and I'm teaching my inner child that I won't listen to it. Yeah. And I'm, not, I'm creating an unhealthy dynamic and relationship within myself. And if you have an unhealthy relationship to yourself, you can't trust yourself, the entire world becomes something you can't trust because the trust of the world starts with the trust of yourself. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You know, I, I teach self-love. It's one of the things that I teach because I realized, yeah, it's, it's where everything stems from, right? If we can get people to actually love themselves, and I'm not talking about in an egotistical way, I'm say, saying actually value and love themselves, the whole world will change. And um, the first step that I always teach is to treat yourself like the person you love most in the world. We are so hard on ourselves. We are so mean to us, to ourselves. You know, we're so judgmental about ourselves. And I remember there was a very pinnacle moment for me. Um, I was going through therapy and my very wise um, psychologist said to me, as within, so without, Susanna. He said, you've attracted so much abuse into your life. Where have you been abusive? And my instant reaction was shock and anger, actually. I was like, what are you talking about? Me, abusive? I step over ants, for God's sake, you know? <laughs> and, um, and he was like, I want you to look at it, like think about it. And I did. I went back and I really thought about it and I tried to digest it and I was so frustrated. And then it, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks in my chest. And in that moment, it was like me and myself separated. And I realized I had been abusing myself my whole life. Mm -hmm. I was never clever enough. I was never funny enough. I was never pretty enough. I was never enough, like on any level. It, my thighs were never okay. My, I had stretch marks. I was judging myself constantly on all levels. And that compared to the few times that I was abused or in abusive situations compounded, I had abused myself way more than anybody else could ever abuse me. Mm -hmm. And that's when my life drastically changed because in that moment where my body like, and myself separated, and I don't know if you can understand this, but it, it's, it did, it looked back at me and it just said, I'm not letting you do this anymore. And I, I ended up in a wheelchair three months later in an ICU three and a half months later fighting for my life. And I had something called systemic lupus. And in the mind-body connection, it means your body trying to kill itself. And it was like my body had had enough. But that trigger also started me on my self-love journey. And I'm so grateful for that because it's led me to be who I am today. I had to strip away all the masks. You're talking about, you know, when we're in the public eye and we do these things and we think we need to live up to things and my nickname was Little Miss Sunshine, you know, and so I had all these masks and I literally had to just strip them all away, strip away all the titles, strip away everything. And it was the greatest gift. Getting sick was the greatest gift of my life. And then I went through, um, I'm 100% now, by the way, but I, I almost died and I went through an amazing healing process and healed much quicker than I thought was possible. But the reality is if we leave these things festering inside us and we ignore them and we ignore them and we put masks on and masks on and masks on, they're going to need to come out at some point and they often do manifest in illness, you know? Mm -hmm. So... I can't believe we've already spoken for an hour um, and we've got to wrap we up the Joel. show. We got Joel next. I know, we got Joel next and we've actually gone into your time, Joel. I'm so sorry. Um, but I will have, we'll have to have more conversations like this because it's been just wonderful sharing with you and um, receiving your knowledge and love and compassion and I, it, it, it echoes through, you know, and I hope I've been seeing comments coming through going love this thank you for the content you know and um this is not my normal show slot so people don't even a few people know i'm on air but not you know it's not mm -hmm. my normal thing so i'm very grateful for everybody who has logged in today and is listening today um and for i'm not quite sure who gave up their show slot for me today thank you very much as well um is there anything you'd like to leave people with? The, the one thing that I love about you is that you've chosen love above everything. Um, that for me is, is the greatest thing ever. With everything that I've been through, I do exactly the same. Um, I still believe in the absolute 
incredibleness of the human spirit and our abilities to love and overcome and our compassion. And I can see that you do the same. Is there one final message that you would like to leave the listeners with before I let you painfully let you go? <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess what I'll, I'll end with is, is a couple things real quickly. Um, cause I, I know how much value Joel Brown is going to bring to all these people right now. Um, one is, uh, if there is so much free content out there mm -hmm. to support you with your healing journey because of the internet, yeah, that, that you have all the tools to be able to start your journey and support yourself. And, and if the way that I talk about it and is supportive to you, I encourage you to go to adamroa.com, A-D-A-M-R-O-A.com. That's the hub where you can get to my podcast, The Deep Dive with Adam Roa, or my YouTube channel the, and The Art of Choosing Love show and just all the various Instagram, Facebook, all the places where I share this sort of stuff to help people. So I, And if it's not my message, go look up YouTube videos on your own for someone else or a different podcast. Yeah. But that, that's the one big piece is the help is available. It is not hopeless. Do not give up mm. hope. Just put the energy into finding the help. Yeah. Um, and then this, the, the second thing is allow yourself to feel in safe mm. spaces. And uh, I feel like the safest spaces are art. And that's why I, I turn all this stuff into poetry and filmmaking. Ah, are you and gonna things. Are you gonna say a poem for us? We we don't have the time. We don't have the time. Um, and and we'll see what happens um, with Joel. But if people want a poem about self love, then I would say you can. Um, you are who you've been looking for. Is a poem that I I wrote about self love that that went very viral. It's been viewed two hundred million times. Um, you can just Google that. You can find it through my website, and it's on Spotify, actually, as a song okay. that you can just type in, you are who you've been looking for, or my name, and find that song and that poem. It's about self-love. It, it, it has really it stopped people from committing suicide. So for those of you who want something that you can listen to on an everyday basis, literally just go and find that poem. Um, and then lastly, something that I always sign off with that I want people here to, to know and remember is that always, in all ways, you are seen, you are heard, and you are loved. You are never alone, and there is love all around you if you have the ability to see it. And so your job and your work is to do whatever is necessary for you to be able to see the love that's around you. Hmm. And so I'm going to leave people with that. And thank you so much, Susanna, for having me on. It's such an important conversation.